reading is from Colossians 1, 13 through 23. Colossians 1, 13 through 23. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, on whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, to that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Thank you, Bill. Good morning, family. Paul, thank you for that music, too. Uh, the scriptures, or the songs you chose fit so well into our study in Colossians. And uh, those verses Paul just read, or Bill just read for us, are just absolutely monumental, as I think, I hope that uh, through this message today we'll be able to just appreciate even more deeply the, uh, the Savior that we, uh, we love and that we serve. Um, I need my clicker. You know what? We are not ready to do this yet. You need to take 31 seconds to greet one another while I go get the clicker. Hey, I think we're ready to go. 
I guess the Lord needed, we just needed a break, huh, before we get in there. All right, let's uh, look to the Lord, shall we? Father, thank you for the opportunity to just gather and uh, sing our praises to you and, and just hear from you this morning. And we just would ask that you would just open up our hearts to hear your word to each one of us. Um, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what we need to hear um, to draw us ever closer to you, that we might glorify you in everything we say and do. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, the Anointed One. And Father, as we look to your word, may his life just become alive to us today. And we give you thanks in our Savior's name for the time together. Amen. Well, uh, we are in our third week in our study of Colossians, and if you have been with us, you will recognize this face that I put to the name Epaphras, and um, you know, quick review for those that are just joining us or are just a little slow. <laughs> um, Epaphras is the reason we have the letter to the Colossians. And Paul, as you, we, if you were with us, you know that Paul never visited Colossae. Um, Epaphras probably met Paul or at least heard him speak over at Ephesus, uh, about 100 miles to the west. And from that, he, took, he went back home. And Colossae was not a major hub of a city or anything at that time. Uh, it had been, but it wasn't currently because of a change in the trade routes, the major roads. And um, he shared what he'd heard, and he'd shared the Lord Jesus Christ with his probably friends and neighbors, and a little church started in Colossae. And um, some things happened there that we're going to review really quickly to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. But um, as you know, he, Paul, well, on here, Paul describes him as that he taught you, you know, he shared the gospel with you. He's a fellow and beloved bond servant or slave. He's a faithful servant, and he traveled to inform us in Rome, where Paul was, most scholars believe, um, of what was going on in the church. That was no small commitment, as we've looked at. You know, somewhere around 1,180 miles of sea travel and land travel to get there. And we, that first week, we asked ourselves the question, you know, how many of us have that kind of dedication that we would travel that far under those circumstances to gain wisdom of how to help people? And because of that, Paul wrote a letter. And that letter has been handed down. That, that little faithful act of, of love and compassion just grips my heart. Um, I think that's just amazing that he's just an ordinary guy. Um, Colossi was known for the wool trade. You know, he may have been a trader. He may have been, you know, a shepherd. Who knows? We don't know. We're not giving any information about his background. But he had the financial wherewithal to make this journey and the love for the people to make it happen. And so he goes to Colossae. Now, as Paul writes the letters, we've seen, it falls into three major categories, at least to me it does, and since I'm speaking, <laughs> this is what we're gonna talk about. <laughs> and um, the first one we talked about last week was you know, how to pray for one another. And the second, which we'll talk about today, and which Paul led us in music about is the majesty and the sufficiency of our Savior Jesus Christ for everything, everything, every aspect of life. 
And if we've come to know Christ as our Savior, if we've been born again, and we belong to him, and we're his servants, then Paul shares with us in the next part, which we'll take up next week, how do we live in a manner that proclaims our Savior? Since we're part of his family, how do we live in such a way that people see Jesus Christ through our lives? We need to basically review something we looked at two weeks ago. When Epaphras went to meet with Paul, we know the things he shared with Paul because of what Paul writes back. And Paul addresses these eight different concerns in the letter to the Colossians. And it's important that we just briefly review them to see how Jesus Christ is the answer and is sufficient to all these issues. Because these issues crop up in society all the time. And what was happening in Colossae was that the populace was eclectic in that there were Jews there. There were Greek, Roman type of people there that had that philosophy. They were what we would, or is called barbarians in a way, just people unchurched that were just drifting through and in, in and out. So there's all these ideas that were floating around about how to have a relationship, a spiritual relationship with a deity of some sort of which they really didn't understand who or what that was. So a number of things crop up. And if you really look at them closely, they all kind of involve a works ethic. For example, well, the first one not, but the spirit is good, but matter is evil. That's everything else around us is somehow tearing us apart and is not a good thing. But one must follow rituals and restrictions to be saved. That's a work concept, and certainly that is a prevalent philosophy uh, in many uh, religious movements, you know, today. One must deny the body and live in strict asensitism, and angels must be worshipped, you know. Well, why? Well, they just must be because they're a heavenly body, and we must give homage to them. One must obey, uh, obtain secret knowledge not available to all. Well, how do you do that exactly? Well, you've just got to kind of keep working at it somehow. And one must ha uh, follow human traditions and wisdom. And best to combine several aspects of seven religions, you know, multiplicity of gods, to make sure you cover all your bases so you can be assured that when you die, you're going to have some sort of afterlife. Uh, who knows which God may give you that, but let's just cover all the bases and worship them all. Not an uncommon aspect in those days. And there's nothing wrong with immorality. Uh, that's certainly a pleasure-seeking kind of thing. So the, the one that Paul takes on first that sets the stage for how Jesus Christ is the answer is this one. The heresy is that one must obtain secret knowledge and not available to all. So how do you do that? Well, Paul takes this on in 2, 2 through 8. So let's take a look at, turn with me if you haven't already, when Bill was reading it, 2, 2 through 8. <clears throat> and let me read again just a portion of this. He says that they're, in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from a full assurance of understanding. Okay, so we want to make sure we understand it's not hidden, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. Okay, now it's getting intriguing. That is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you or per, or by, with pervasive arguments. For even though I am absent from the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As you, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted now and built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> so what he's saying there to us is, listen, you don't have to worry about finding secret knowledge. The answer lies in Christ and the mysteries of, that is Christ. Well, what is the mystery of Christ? We've got to beg that question. And there's one major truth that overshadows every other truth about Christ. And that truth is this. He is God. He is God in the flesh. Okay. That is a mystery that was not known in ancient times, but revealed when Christ came. Okay. For in him, chapter 2, 9 and 10, for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over and rule over all authority. Now the concept in him what does that exactly mean? Well, Paul's going to unpack that for us a little bit as he moves through here, but basically means if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, <coughs> pardon me, if you accept him as your Savior and been baptized, he places you through his Spirit into the body of Christ, his body, which is the church. And that is the concept of being in him. You are within the body of Christ by accepting Christ as your Savior, recognizing that we, you, me, all of us are sinners, and that Christ went to the cross to die in our stead, so we would not have to pay the penalty for that. For many of us, that is not new news, but if somebody asks you, what does it mean to be in him, it means, are you in the body of Christ, the church, not by membership, but by believing in Christ, went to the cross to die for your sins. The concept of him being God is monumental to everything we believe. And I want to give you five proofs of what Paul is saying to underscore the enormity of that. Okay? We often think intellectually that Jesus is God. Yeah, I understand that. But do you, do you really sense that deep down in your soul, in the very fiber of your being, that this God loves you to the point of going to the cross for you. So we start with creation. <clears throat> the very first verse in the Bible lays the foundation for everything else. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this God that we're going to learn about did it all. He created everything around us, everything we use, or at least the material that goes into everything we use. The wood of this podium, the steel of this, the very fiber, every single cell, every single gene in your body that makes you unique. God created. John follows this up with a, an amazing statement 
in chapter 1 of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he follows it up by saying, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. All things. The, the, you know, we, up where we live, we don't, because of Bullskin Ridge, that hill through there, we don't see the lights of Reading at night, unless there's a cloud layer and it reflects. But usually when it's clear like this, we don't see any evidence of a lot of you guys. <laughs> but when you look up in the heavens at home, there are just thousands and thousands of stars up there. And the Milky Way just stretches, you know, right across there. And that's just our universe. That's just ours. You know, and you, when you look through the telescopes and how far you can see, they still can't see the edge. It just goes and goes and goes. And we send out the satellites that probe the pioneers that go way, way out. And they take these amazing pictures of our solar system and beyond. It's just, if you've ever looked at the images of what they find out there, it's all inspiring, isn't it? It's just absolutely amazing. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth. For by him, all things were created, both in the heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And that was one of the songs that Paul led us in this morning. And all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that, came, being that has come into being. And then, well, when we talk about all things, think about from the furthest out you can see into the universe to the small single-celled amoeba, the smallest form of life. And we can break it on further on down to the very building box, the cells, and even farther on down to the atoms, further on down to the particles of an atom. Whichever way we look, to the heavens, or all the, through the telescopes, or all the way down through the microscopes, everything we see, every single thing we see, shouts of the Creator. You know, and scientists that don't believe in God are working so hard to prove there is not a God. And they come up with amazing theories. I heard one, Joel and I are watching a, a science program, I don't know, on PBS some time ago. And they were talking about how could it all start? And they said, well, gravity pulled everything together. Oh, wait a minute. Gravity is a factor of mass already being together. So how does, when there's nothing there, how can there be a force that's related to something being there? They, they just can't explain it. There's theory after theory after theory. And you cannot get away from there has to be a beginning. And in the beginning, there has to be a cause. And that cause, obviously, is God. The wonder to me of all this is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory as the only begotten father full of grace and truth. 
That God that created everything and the power to do that decided to come and dwell among us as a man, as a man. Not some mystical God, not some mystery, not something ununderstandable, but a man in flesh and bone that we could handle and that we could touch and that we could see. And Luke says, you know, these things that we want to, we want to share with you what we saw and what we heard and what we handled. This Jesus was alive, is alive. And we saw him and we proclaim him to you. And it's our joy to proclaim it as Christians to the world. I love this picture of just the humility of the actor that is portraying Jesus Christ here and the kindness on that face amongst a people that are broken and sinful and dirty and all the things that we can use to describe our true natural state apart from relationship with him. I had a birthday last week and one of my daughters-in-law gave me a, 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 um, a birthday card. And in it she said something really sweet that so magnifies not me but what our Savior does. She said, thank you for loving me with all my imperfections. I was so touched by that, by her humility, but it also moves me to say, Lord, thank you for loving me for all of my imperfections. Indeed, that was the very reason he came, isn't it? Because if we were perfect, we wouldn't have needed him to come. But like Epaphras, he journeyed a long ways to get here from the heavens and the throne and emptied himself to become a bond slave to serve us and dwell among us. Epaphras magnifies love of his people. How much greater does Jesus magnify his love for us? By emptying himself and taking on the form of a man and, and going through all the little things that life goes through, all the little broken fingernails and all those kind of things to identify with this, that we might see him and see God and the word that had created everything became flesh and dwelt among us. What about all the miracles that he did to show us who he was? Giving the sight to the blind, opening the ears of the deaf, changing the water into wine, walking on water, healing the sick, causing the blind to see, binding up the hearts of the hurting, ministering to the woman at the well that had had, I think it was five husbands and was living with another. Whatever your spiritual condition is, you're her, hurting and needing healing. And she just touched his robe and she was made well. That's why he came. 
for each one of us. In whatever state we find ourselves in, the imperfections that my daughter-in-law talked about, that's why he came, this creator of the universe. And what about the testimonies of others? Well, Jesus said of himself, I and my father are one. Okay, that's his testimony of who he is. And you know what we did because he said that? We nailed him to a cross. You think about that, of, he never did anything wrong to anybody. And we as a people hated him for it. And about the son, however, God said, God the father saying, your kingdom, O God, will last forever and ever. You rule over the people with justice. This is God proclaiming to the Son, you are God. So we have the testimony of God the Father proclaiming that God, that the Son is God also. It goes on. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, the testimony of men. And Jesus said to him, do you believe because you have seen me? Remember doubting Thomas, put your hand in, you know, feel it, Thomas. Feel the, I am alive. Feel where they nailed me to the cross, Thomas. How happy are those who believe who've never seen. And that would include us because we have not seen him in bodily form. And then Jesus answers, of course, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice, don't miss that little part in the middle. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am truth, okay? And we started this series by saying, you know, a lot of us in fake news and everything else, a, a lot of people want us to live outside of truth. And I gave that example of uh, you have relative truth as opposed to true truth. We want to live in true truth. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he'll open your mind to see what truth is all about and not the world's wisdoms or the world's psychologies or anything like that, but what true truth is comes through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me. Is that clear enough? You want a relationship with God for all eternity? It's Jesus Christ is the answer. No one, no religion, no self-sacrifice, none of that kind of stuff is going to work aside from Jesus Christ. Well, what about just the general story of his life? It starts out, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. This is Philippians, familiar verse. Taking on the form of a bondservant made in the likeness of men. This is his story that Paul's writing to the Philippians. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. You want to sum up the story of Christ's life, it's right there in Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to proclaim somebody, you've got five seconds to share who Jesus Christ was and is, you can go there. Creator of the universe, emptied himself, came and dwelt among us to go to the cross. So we look at his life in pictures. It's the creator of all things. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He left that, and he came to dwell among us. And he did that 
for this. For this. He came to die. To be crucified. He did that because he loves you. Each one of you. In all your perfections, imperfections, in all your struggles and your hurts and your failures, in all the ways you want to live right and can't, in all the broken relationships and hurtful things that have been said and done, in all those failures, every single one of them, he went to the cross for those. He took the humiliation, the beatings, the scourgings, the whippings, he drugged that cross up that hill and we nailed him to it. And we crucified him. And he could have called down thousands of angels. He could have stepped down off that cross, but he hung there. He hung there for you and for me. How can we magnify the Lord enough how can I proclaim standing up here as a, as a mere man the wonder of that day and what he did? I have struggled so much with this message <laughs> and my total insufficiency to help us completely grasp the wonder of the cross. And I realized I can't. Only God working in your heart can do that. The enormity of the love that he has for you. Epaphras is an example of our Savior willing to travel miles and miles and miles to bring the good news. But the story doesn't end there, does it? He proclaimed on that cross, it is finished. It is done. The battle is over. He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Who's he presenting us to as saved people? To God the Father. Look, they're blameless. Their debt is paid. They own no more. Hold nothing against them. Welcome them into your presence because I paid it all for them. I took all the blame. I took all the sin, all of it. So don't let anybody ever tell you that your sin is keeping you from an eternal life because Christ is sufficient for every single thing, everything. It is finished he said, and it is finished. And Satan will sneak in and he'll start to make you doubt that you're any good. Well, you're not. So, welcome to the club. He still died for you. But he'll start making you doubt your salvation through some sort of circumstances and things like that. It is finished. It is finished because Christ said so. Because he died on that cross. But the story doesn't end, because he's alive, isn't he? Hallelujah. He's alive. 
There is an empty cross and there is an empty tomb and we have a resurrected Savior who is alive and the scriptures say, making intercession for us before the throne of God on your behalf. What greater love has no man than this, that he'd give his life for another. It is finished and he's alive. And so he offers something to all of us. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls for all eternity, for all eternity. And I obviously don't know your spiritual condition. I don't know this day where you are with the Lord. I know most of you, many of you I've known for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Others are just new acquaintances. But God knows where you are. God knows your heart. God knows if you have a relationship with him through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if this day you're not sure and you're listening to these words that he's given me to share this day, know this, that his hand is there and he is offering you eternity life. Take his hand and say, and all you gotta do is just say, Lord, I recognize I'm, I need you as my savior. I came to know Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, in a movie theater, going to a movie by Billy Graham called A Time to Run. And at the end, they gave an invitation. And I went down, and there was a counselor there, and he said, you know, you know, if you pray this prayer, and okay. And so I bowed my head, and I said something, Lord, I don't understand any at all or much of this, but I know I need something. I'm pretty sure it's you. And he took that very unspiritual prayer and changed my life. And I married the girl I love because of that. The invitation is there. Take his hand if you haven't already. If you do, look at this verse from Colossians 2. Verses. Notice the in him through this. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In him, you have been made complete. In him, you are also circumcised, meaning placed in the body of Christ without a long theological explanation for that. Buried with him in baptism, raised up with him through faith, he made you alive together with him for eternity. Hallelujah, huh? He, he did it all. He is the answer. That is the mystery. The creator of the universe dwelt among us, went to the cross, paid the price for your and my sin, rose from the dead, conquered death, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, giving us an invitation to be a part of a eternal relationship with he and his Father and the Holy Spirit for all time. And join him at the biggest dinner table in all eternity. And then he's going to come again. And we're going to come with him. Mounted on horses, I got to throw that in. 
Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this truth that Paul writes of the great love that you have for us and the great love that our Creator and Savior has for us, of his willingness to go to the cross for us and to die for us. And I just pray, Father, if there are those, any of the, anyone this day, that has never trusted you as their personal Lord and Savior, this would be the day that they take your hand in their heart and be free to live with you for all time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.